Jay alcoholic. A lot of freaks. Yeah. Well, um, I'm best described in the book Alcoholics Anonymous as a strange chap with a queer idea of fun. And uh, so... I was born with this love of history, and I have no idea why, but I've been created to be able to inflict it upon others. So (laughs) this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be talking about spiritualism, mysticism, and AA's co-founders. Now, I get to talk all over the planet about all kinds of really cool stuff. And people come up to me and they go, what's the secret stuff I'm supposed to read so that I know exactly what they were doing, when and how, and how is it that I can get just a leg up on my fellows? There's that little spiritual competition in Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh, that's right, it doesn't happen in in Minnesota. I, I got that. I got that. But anyway, so um, these two people... Bob Smith, Bill Wilson, were incredibly courageous visionaries. And the reason that they were courageous visionaries is that 88 years ago, something happened that hadn't happened before. Now, in our fifth tradition, it says that every AA group is a spiritual entity. So let's just kind of ramp this thing up and let's get it cooking a little bit. And if you'd just be kind enough to close your eyes for a moment. Let's take a deep breath. Blow it out. And if you can, think of your family lineage. And if you can go back, maybe you were fortunate enough to have actually met your great-grandparents. Eighty-eight years ago, when they were flitting around the planet, alcoholism and drug addiction was a death sentence. And then something happened. And it's touched each and every one of our lives and our families' lives, and our communities. So let's just take one minute and revel in what this gift has done in your heart. Thank you. So you know how it is when you're getting together with your friends, you're talking at the coffee shop after the meeting, taking the speaker's inventory, How can he possibly not drink and think about things like that? And, and, um, and the way that you talk and the way that you act is much different than when you're at the podium or maybe when you're called on to participate in the meeting. And I've had the very, very deep privilege of being able to read the private letters, Bill W., Bob Smith, and to really have a different type of relationship that many folks 
get to have. And it's kind of being with them when they're at coffee. They're not being guarded in the way that they're talking. They're not founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. They're just interested, engaged, and involved people. And the way that these people were involved and engaged is absolutely incredible. Now, today, um, when I started out doing history, uh, I came to you on the second day of May in 1979, and although I found it necessary on a lot of occasions, I haven't taken the front drink, sniffed any glue, or done any of those other things that I found to be so consoling. And when I... Clapping for a sober drunk's like clapping for a frog not hopping. You know, I mean... Um, I'm glad it's a vertebrate, honey. Um, anyway, uh, and the bill that I'm going to be talking to you about that I have a really special relationship nowadays with is, is not the early Bill W. that most people are familiar with. It's really between like 1955 and 1969 that I'm going to be talking about Bill. Now, Bob, on the other hand, we don't know much about Bob. And uh, what about Bob? <laughs> well, number one, the guy's a proctologist <laughs> that shakes. <laughs> there are those who say that the person who gave the most for the founding of Alcoholics Anonymous was the person Bob operated on the day after Mother's Day. Um, but Bob was an interesting cat. He was, uh, why don't we know much about him? Well, number one, he lived in Akron. Number two, he was a Stoic. And what a Stoic is, is it's somebody that doesn't verbalize truth until they really think they know it. So Stoics don't talk very much at all. For example, uh, many of you had the good pleasure, I'm, I'm sure that he was here, of hearing Smitty, Dr. Bob's son. And uh, Smitty... Uh, Love to tell this story about his dad and what a great communicator his dad was. Smitty was about 16 years old, and it was time for the sex lecture. Yes. Dad is a doctor. I'm going to learn it all. I'm going to be able to inflict it on others. It's going to be a wonderful life. So he takes the old, the old man takes him upstairs, sits him down on the bed, and says, Son, flies spread disease. Keep yours closed. <laughs> I mean, if you take a look at Bob, I mean, he waited 17 years to ask Anne to marry him. That's what I thought. <laughs> you know, I mean, do you think this guy just was a little buttoned down? So anyway, 
This is why there isn't all this stuff. And he didn't have a secretary. And he didn't have the, and he was not interested. Bill, on the other hand, was in New York City. Uh, you know, the, the whole movement grew up around him and he was the point of contact for the movement as it evolved. So, what is spiritualism? Spiritualism is a belief based on supposed communication with spirits of the dead, especially through mediums. And as a philosophy, it is the doctrine that spirit exists distinct from matter and that spirit is the only reality. Now, I know that there are a few folks that are flitting around that second definition on occasion. Um, and it's interesting that in the dictionary it says supposed communication um, because there are lots of people that have had it. And one of the things that I really want to ask you to do for the next 35 minutes or so, and then hopefully I'll at some point I'll stop because I've got all kinds of really cool stuff. But I'm very interested in if folks have got a couple of questions that we may get a little Q&A going, too, because I'm always fascinated to hear what it is that people are, are interested in. But this is how these people lived. This is what they believed. You can question the nature of the transformation of a person, the nature of them having a change of mind and heart, or having things um, that they believe that are important, but you can't you can't question the fact that it actually happened, and uh, it happened to these guys. Now, what's mysticism? Whoop. The mystic seeks by contemplation and self-surrender to obtain unity with or absorption into the deity or the absolute, or who believes in the spiritual apprehension of truths that are beyond the mind. Our friend Carl Jung, um, when he was talking to uh, Bill about... uh, the solution to alcoholism, he said that it either comes by grace or honest contact with friends. And I believe that what the committee creates here is a weekend full of honest contact with friends. Or the third way is by education of the mind beyond the confines of mere rationalism. And so we're going to take a little trip beyond the confines of mere rationalism. So William James uh, said that while the revelations of the mystic hold true, they only hold true for the mystic. This is a picture of James on the way to a rave. (laughs) Boy's got some chops, doesn't he? Um, uh, anyway, the, 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 so one of the fabulous things about Alcoholics Anonymous, we have these mystics, especially Bill W., 
And he had mystical experiences, as many of us have, experiences, not just one, but that we don't take his experience literally. We have to go and get our own. And we are very, very fortunate that what we have is we have a recipe, a mystical recipe for change. Now, in a letter that Bill wrote to our friend Mel uh, B., he said that little by little, I think we shall strip away the mystery from mysticism. Indeed, the mystic experience, so-called, is the essence of an AA's transformation, whether he believes it, knows it, or not. So each of us are really led on a journey that is completely different than what most folks got. Now, we talk about normal people. Do you know any? Um, <laughs> I mean, in the postmodern era, it's just such an odd uh, concept, a normal person. I mean, who would, who would want to be one? You know? I mean, God created Sedona for people like me to end up in. Uh, I like to say that there we live in the fifth dimension and we visit the fourth and we ain't going to apologize to any of you tourists. Um, so here's a great, uh, here's Conga, Dr. Bob. Isn't that a great shot of him? Now I have to tell you that I am living and amends to the fellowship. And it's an odd thing. One of the things about being a historian is, is that you learn stuff, and you go and you inflict it on others, and then later on you learn more stuff, and you find out that what you were saying a few years earlier was wrong. And then you're in public again. <laughs> So one of the things that, that I, I have this amends to make is that I allowed one of my colleagues uh, to really run with the Akron stuff when I started doing um, uh, history work. And the person had an agenda, and the agenda was that he had been shamed in an AA meeting for using the J word. Not J word, but Jesus. And he was talking about his own Christian faith. And people shamed him and, and told him that he couldn't do it, this and that, another thing. And this guy was a lawyer, and he went out and he started writing briefs on the roots of Alcoholics Anonymous. But it was with an agenda. And it was to prove that there was a Christian basis for Alcoholics Anonymous. Good. But... That was only a piece of what it was that Bob was. And yet, because I didn't do the work at the time, because this guy's got Akron covered, I'm off doing Frank Bookman and some, some, uh, some stuff about Bill W., I did not stand up for the fact that Bill, or that Dr. Bob was a great 
student of all different types of spiritual seeking. And not only did he personally engage in this, but he encouraged others to. And uh, so that's just a little part of my public amends to say that I'm, I'm, I'm working on this and I'll be sharing some, some really cool stuff that I found out about Bob after I got around going back to Akron. So one of the, there aren't a lot of things that we know about Bob, but I was, I was talking at a conference once and somebody said, did Dr. Bob ever do a fifth step? There's nothing in the literature about it. There was nothing in the letters that I could find about it. But later on, I ran across a talk that Bill gave at Founders Day. And so I, I just love this because it kind of gives us a, a sense of Dr. Bob that, that I think is, uh, that's really helpful. So we took him upstairs. This is after he's gotten wasted out in Atlantic City. He's come back. Now, one of the other thing is that Bob had, he was basically a chicken. And you can put whatever adjective you want behind it. Um, he used to go hide in the men's club in Akron for like three or four days and drink so that his, and women couldn't get any information. Isn't that interesting? Can you imagine? And they'd call up and they would, and, and he'd, he'd stay there and drink. Anyway, he, he comes back from Atlantic City and he gets off a stop early from his home stop and he calls the nurse that works for him because she wants him to call Ann and make sure she won't yell at him for coming home wasted. I mean, come on, dude. Get a little spine. But anyway, um, so they say, okay, Bob, you can come home. We're not going to yell. So they bring him home and they get him upstairs, okay? And he says, Bob says, this is awful. I started a certain operation on a patient and I've got to finish it. And the day of the operation shouldn't be postponed. It's only three days away. How can I ever do this? Well, Bill says, Bob, I've tried the home tapering job on drunks. I'd be willing to try it on you, although I have to warn you that I've usually tapered them off instead of on. So if you really want to cooperate, we'll see what we can do. On the third morning, he was lying on the single bed opposite. Daylight was coming in. And I remember how he looked across at me with some kind of hope in his eye, in spite of all the pain, in spite of all the change. And he made a statement. Bob was a man of few words, but he Uh, What he said counted, and here was his statement. I'm going to go through with this thing, God willing. And I supposed he meant this operation we were getting him puckered up for. (laughs) They were giving him alcohol, sauerkraut, stewed tomatoes, and barbiturates. How does that sound for a nutritious breakfast? (laughs) He said, no, I'm I'm really going to go through with the kind of thing we've been talking about. I've hit bottom all right, but that's only a starter. I'm a guy who would never make a full revelation about myself 
to any human being. I'm one of those damn Yankees who bottle things up and hang on and can't let go. So I'm going to get a house cleaning and you're going to hear it. And Bill says, you can't shock me. Fire away. But uh, postpone, um, excuse me. Um, so he said, uh, I'm a guy who felt the stigma. Bob says, I felt, I'm a guy who felt the stigma of this in this town. And though everybody in town knew I was a source by use of sedatives, I got through the business by day and drank by night and every once in a while a trip to a sanitarium. I mean, wouldn't you want your rectal surgeon on barbiturates? <laughs> Great for the practice. Um, I'm a tough old bird and I've just been going on for years and never really faced up to the people that I've hurt. And I think there's, uh, this has been going, uh, this is where the catches are in my picture. That's why I got drunk in Atlantic City. Well, we had such a conversation. He told me uh, his truth, and then we got him back down to the business of the operation. Well, the old boy was shaking. Annie and I held a council, and we decided we'd tapered the guy off just a little too far. So on the way to the hospital, I gave him a bottle of ale, and I dropped a goofball in it. For those of you uh, in-depth historians, goofball, barbiturate, second all, or for you modern, more, more modern people, second all, tuna, everything all. Um, so then at the very end we took on the very delicate job of tapering up him up just enough so he could carve on the corpse (laughs) I love it there's a in brackets it says laughter because it's taken from it's taken from a, uh, uh, a recorded talk And we took him down to the city hospital up there, and we watched him walk in under his own steam. Now, one of the great things about this fellowship that we are we are heir to is that um, uh, you know think about what's the founding day of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, we could say it could be when Jung got together with Roland Hazard. Or maybe when Hazard got together with Ebby. Or maybe when Ebby carried the message to Bob. But it's none of those. It's not the day of Bill's white light experience. It's the day that Bob, it's not the day that Bill and Bob met. It's the day that Bob, after having that nutritious breakfast, and went out and made his amends. And I believe that the ninth step is what the difference is between Alcoholics Anonymous and any other spiritual uh, path. This is the path where we don't say, oh, don't do that again, ever. Don't do that. 
This is the path where we say, no, you have to go and make that right. And there is no other path where it is demonstrated as well as AA. And that's where the miracle happened. Bob never drank again. Now, with all we know and all we've experienced in these years, what would you do if you gave your sponsee a bottle of ale and dropped a barbiturate in it so they could get through work? Maybe they had a special vehicle they wanted to sell. And, uh, and, and then he doesn't come home. Bob doesn't come home after the operation. Bill starts packing. Annie's crying. He's not there. He comes back about 9 o'clock at night. Can you imagine the pre-Alanon, them both kind of going at them like, Where have you been? You know, we were worried. Think of us. You can't tell that I'm a regular member of the Alanon family groups, can you? (laughs) Deeply grateful member. Anyway, um... So, and, and Bob in his fashion said, you, where were you? I was out mending fences. That's it. That's it. And uh, he ended up um, going around and looking everybody in the eye who's trustee violated and doing his best to make it right. So this is the foundation of our movement, not the white light. It's the action. Just an opinion, it's a good one, and it should be yours. <laughs> this is uh, Dr. Bob's daughter, Sue. Whoop. Whoop. And uh, let's see if we can go back here. Come on, Sherman, we'll get the Wayback Machine going. Hmm. Okay. Come on, come on, come on. Got a lot of catch up with my mind. Sorry about this. Anyway, Sue um, Sue talks about her dad's uh, engagement in spiritualism. And by the way, all this stuff is hidden from all of us in plain sight. It's in conference-approved literature. So if you want to know. Some of this stuff about Bob and the like, all you have to do is go buy a copy of Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers. You know, and, and it's really, it's really lovely. And the same with passing on. All this stuff that I'm talking about is right there and, 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 but people just skip over it or they go, oh, just weird. Quick, turn the page. We don't want to know anything about that. Um, but anyway, so, uh, Sue's watching all this Stuff go on at the house. And um, Dad started to get some heat because he was having small group meetings with a friend called uh, by the name of Roland Jay, uh, who was one of the really fascinating characters in the history of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, they would um, go over to Roland's on, the, on Sundays, and Roland would call the spooks in. And, uh, and they'd have seances and... They'd have all kinds of fun stuff going on. And, but Sue said that, the, they, that folks were against the spiritualist thing because everybody wasn't invited. 
Um, now, here's Smitty talking about his dad. One of the things Smitty said is that his dad suggested that they go to every spirit, every church, every ma- everything that there was in Akron to try stuff out. He wanted the kids to have a broad uh, exposure to spirituality. And, uh, and then also he shared, you know, what it was that he was finding on his path. And one of it was that he was really interested in people who claimed to have ESP and other forms of uh, spiritual insight. He uh, said that, that he believed that it wouldn't be too long until the science of the mind would be such that we would be able to have contact with people on the other side. Um, anybody in here had an NDE, near-death experience? Yeah, okay. Um, so, you know, when we talk about the other side, it's not like it isn't something that's proven, but we're just acting like we don't have the information yet. No, 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 no. Okay. Um, so... So there's this guy, Roland Jay, and he was an incredibly uh, deep mystical searcher, uh, studied a lot of different religions, and he can't stop drinking. And he meets Bob, and he's able to stop drinking. But he has some real talents. Um, he could make creeks change direction. He could make... Uh, Trees bloom in the winter. Um, he used to do things like on Sunday afternoon, they'd be having coffee and reading the Sunday paper on the porch, and he'd like make beards appear on Bob and Ann. <laughs> and everybody could see him. <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, he's this fascinating character. Uh, there's a woman by the name of Virginia M early member in AA in, in Akron. She's got a little daughter. Daughter has awful, awful problems. They're trying to figure out what it is that they can do for the child. They really don't know. So they schedule an operation up in Cleveland, and they're going to take her up, and she goes to Bob, and she's just beside herself. And she goes, I just, I, I just don't know what to do. It's, it's, this is horrible. And uh, Bob says, have you ever considered spiritual healing? She went, no. And he said, well, why don't you go talk to Roland? And she goes and talks to Roland, and they set up a little time for her to bring the, the daughter by. And the, uh, when the daughter comes by, Roland says to Virginia, hey, do you have any uh, feelings about spiritualism? No, not particularly. He said, go to the movies. That's really good. Go to the flicks, because we don't need any interference. So she went off to a movie comes back a couple hours later, and her daughter was completely healed, and the malady never returned. That's from the medical man, by the way. That's from the medical man. Um, Everything that I've been able to ascertain about Bob, and one of the things about his library, I mean, it's just dense with not just Christian stuff, but all kinds. I mean, he was reading Gurdjieff and Ospinsky. Um, He was... uh, he was dabbling in all kinds of different stuff. I mean, he really wanted to have the experience that Bill had, and he couldn't, you know, he couldn't get it. He had the educational variety. 
And an interesting, you know, awareness that I had is, is that later on when we, we get to the use of uh, LSD to help alcoholics, Bob would have been the one to go first to Santa Monica if he'd been alive. No, absolutely. He would have been, he would have been, Bill, I got, Willie, I got this. I'm going to, I'm going to go. Because he was the medical man. He was the medical man. Um, one of the books that I neglected to take a look at in my reading, uh, you know, before I really started delving into to Bob to try and liberate him from the box that he was in, um, is this book called Thy Kingdom Come. And um, it's uh, a... Arthur Conan Doyle was the number one voice of spiritualism, the guy who uh, wrote the Sherlock Holmes mysteries. And he went all over the world promoting spiritualism as a, as a way of life. And uh, after he died, he got in contact with a medium and downloaded to her all the information that he gave that was wrong. And it's in this book called Thy Kingdom Come. And anyway, Bob reads it, and I didn't, I didn't take a look at it because it sounded like just another piece of good Christian literature. Uh-uh. <laughs> so always open the book. Just don't look at it, you know. <laughs> That's why you've got weirdos like me. I finally get around to it. Um, but he says, let me know your reaction, especially the general idea of the whole uh, Brotherhood of Light. Maybe I'm slightly moist, as in wet-brained about this, uh, but I really uh, feel that I'm not. Uh, so this is something that, that there he's actively engaged in. And uh, it's the only scolding letter. Uh, the, the preview to that is, uh, you haven't read, written me the letter like you said you would. <laughs> So he sends the, uh, the book to Bill, and Bill says, uh, we enjoyed it greatly. Uh, we're now passing it around to our spook friends, of which there are many. Okay, let's try this one more time. There we go. Uh, so this is a, for his eighth birthday, uh, Bob sent, or Bill sent Bob a Ouija board. Maybe that should be something that should be conference approved and we'll just give it to everybody with their <laughs> eight-year chip. What the heck, you know? I mean... And the last thing about Bob is that uh, um, I had the privilege the other day of... Uh, the other day, it's been about six months ago, I'm talking with Mary Darrell, the woman who wrote the lovely book, The... Uh, the biography of Sister Ignatia. And she said that she was over at Sue's house and they're going through some boxes and there's all these books from the Lilydale Fellowship. And Lilydale is a place that I get to speak at in July. I can't believe it. And it's this center of spiritualism that for 130 years, the only way that you can have a residence there if you're a proven psychic or medium. And so I get to go and even push the envelope a little further with some people that understand. <laughs> Try and come up with where we are time-wise. So, 
Um, so Bob and Ann are going up there frequently. That's from their daughter. So it was not just a little occasional deal. So this is the title of the book that I'm uh, in the process of writing, The Illuminated Bill W. And uh, I believe that he spent the second part of his life bringing the fourth dimension to those that were trapped in the third. And you got to have a place to start, a launching pad, right? And we got, we got Towns Hospital. And, and, and in the experience that uh, Bill had at Towns, um, one of the things that popular culture does is every five years when we ramp up for our uh, uh, international convention, there's always a, a blowback um, from popular media. And um, the last one was all about how Bill didn't have a mystical experience. He just was loaded on belladonna. Now, if you've ever done belladonna, you know it's a crappy drug, number one. <laughs> number two, um, the protocol for what he was given, and this was later in Silkworth's uh, tenure, was completely different than something that would ever give you a uh, hallucinogenic uh, experience. So just a little something from folks that actually did the work to know, <laughs> find out what the protocol was. So, uh, and, and in that experience, um, Bill called it the flash of reality, uh, capital R, that, that place of union with all that is. At Stepping Stones, how many have been to Stepping Stones? Yeah. So, if I got any dream for you at all, go to Stepping Stones. It is an incredible experience. And how many have been to Bob's house? Yeah. Well, it's geographically desirable to you guys. But, uh, but anyway, maybe even socially, but I judge no group. Um, but, uh, but anyway, the, the, um, the great thing is that both these places have now become uh, national historical sites, so it bodes very well for the future of our, uh, the history of our movement. Now, with Bill, what he says uh, when he starts talking about the psychic stuff is, I know to many this subject is suspect or taboo or just ridiculous, um, but like most scoffers at prayer, practically always are people who have never tried. And one of the difficult things about being a historian is, is that when you, talk, when you start looking at stuff, I mean, how far are you going to go? How far are you going to go? How far would you go? Um, I've had a lot of fun. So this is the spook group. Um, they get to, and, and this is what they called it. Um, so they move into the house, and, and it's stepping stones, and it's, this, it's in this incredible gift. I mean, it's like they've been homeless for three years, and suddenly they find this wonderful home, and the woman sold it to them for what they were paying for storage on their, their stuff. That was the monthly payment. And um, some of the folks that were in the spook group, um, not only were people like uh, Bill's editor, Tom P., but there were also, also there was Lois, um, and then there was DeVoe and Ann B. So both of the founders of Al-Anon are part of the spook group. So we know that it was well supervised. 
and Lois kept notes of all the different things, the table tapping, the channelings, all this stuff. And I've had the deep and lovely privilege of being actually able to read the book, to turn the pages. And uh, there's some really fun, fun stuff. Um, so the first two years that they're having this weekly meeting, Bill doesn't get any channeling at all. And then all of a sudden, bang, there's this, there's this, uh, the first transmission he got was from a woman named Meg. And Meg said, how the hell are you? <laughs> and then later on, he had contact with uh, Jack Westinghouse, Ankaton, Hercules, all kinds of different folks came funneling through. He said, I developed into sort of a medium myself. No, he was a medium. No doubts about it. And one of the things that he talked about, the process of, and, and so anyway, the, this download comes the first time, and he can't shut it off. For like three weeks, there's just all these different personalities coming through and all these different messages. And he thought he was going to have to turn himself into the mental hospital. But then it, 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 it ended. And... Um, so, Bill talked about the way that, uh, that, that, uh, that he got in contact. He said it is the opposite of converse, uh, concentration. It, it is a relaxation. And he said that once he developed the, the ability that any time that he dropped into this relaxed or meditative state, he could get information. It's really not that different than the Oxford group, uh, how to get guidance, you know, getting quiet, asking for, for information. Uh, this experience in Nantucket, where um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer you to, uh, well, nah, what the hell, fun story. So Bill is up in Nantucket visiting a buddy, he and Lois, and... Uh, he gets up early in the morning, makes some coffee, smoking cigarettes, and all of a sudden, this disincarnate shows up, a being without a body, disincarnate. Isn't that a great... I, I think I dated a couple disincarnates. <laughs> I'm not sure of it. Um, but anyway, uh, so, so he, this guy shows up, and, and he starts talking, and he goes, I need to get a boat. Can you help me get a boat? I need a job. And Bill says, no, I don't have any connections in that. And the guy says, well, I need a drink. Can you help me get a drink? And, and uh, Bill said, well, do you know that you're dead? And the guy goes, you mean that's why people aren't talking to me? <laughs> yep. And, he, and, and so they talk for a little while, and Bill says, now... When you leave, if you just relax, you'll see people that will come forward to help you through the process, and you'll be, you'll be able to, to, uh, to make the transition. And the guy says, wow, and he leaves. A couple minutes later, a guy shows, another disincarnate shows up and says to Bill, great job. <laughs> you did a really good job. We've been trying to get this clown to the other side, and he keeps walking into walls. You know, it's just been awful. Good job. Would you like to meet anybody else? He's <laughs> smoking a <having> coffee. <laughs> what would you say? Bring it on, you know? So he, these guys come in. There's Pettingill. Uh, Pettingill was uh, killed in the, uh, with uh, Admiral Farragut in, in uh, a battle. 
outside Nantucket Bay, and there's this guy, Quigley, who'd been a quartermaster of a ship. And so they have this conversation, and Bill's talking and drinking coffee, and these guys are telling their stories, and it's a wonderful thing. Finally, they leave. Now, Bill rarely told people about these things, right? (laughs) But since he's at these people's house, he decides in the morning to tell them, and they just all get nervous and say, isn't it time for you to go back to New York or something? And, you know, no, we were planning to go on a picnic. So they go on a picnic into Nantucket, and they go to the, uh, the, they go to the war memorial, and son of a gun, if Pettingill's name isn't on the, war, uh, on, the, uh, on the war memorial. And you could, in those days, you could go in the Nantucket Whaling uh, Museum, and you could actually read through the captain's log. You know, people that had signed in when they landed and what they had and all that stuff and whose name's in there a bunch of times, but Quigley's. And uh, it was really fun. When I was at GSO, I found a letter that Bill wrote to the guy that he was staying with 20 years later saying, do you remember? He said, I really had a good time with that. And still in telling people... uh, Now... I want you to understand that Bill Wilson is running with some of the most far-reaching, talented people in society in these days. Okay? Um, In the world of psychics, it's Eileen Garrett, Arthur Ford, um, uh, Madeline Kahn. In paranormal research, he's working with R.B. Ryan from, uh, from Duke University. Uh, he's engaged with Gerald Hurd, one of the most uh, striking philosophers, somebody that really helped create the foundation for the 60s. Uh, Aldous Huxley, another incredibly brilliant and articulate man. These are his running partners, aside from all kinds of different people. Um, at, at one point... Uh, he's got some friends who he helped, and they say, we've got a guy who's created a way of getting energy from the sun. Can you help him? And so Bill, because of his connections, gets him into the inner sanctum of GE to start the solar industry. You know, I mean, this is, this is the guy. This is the guy. Not the promoter. You know, I mean, most people have an opinion about Bill in his first three years. If you've got an opinion of me and you're stuck with me in 1982, God bless you. (laughs) So, um, oh, Arthur Ford, the man who talked to the dead. He was the greatest medium of his generation. Um, He was the guy who who, uh, solved the Houdini riddle. And the Houdini riddle was that Houdini had spent all this time busting mediums and psychics and proving them to be frauds. And uh, but he, when it came to Ford, he wouldn't touch he wouldn't touch Ford or Eileen Garrett, uh, both friends of Bill's. And anyway, Houdini died suddenly, and he had given his wife a code: if somebody comes to you and says this, 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 this in that order, you know that I'm, I'm touching you from the other side. And uh, son of a gun, if Arthur doesn't do that. And, of course, the moment that it was done, the next week, everybody's on her, and she, 
she never dissuaded the fact that she signed the thing saying that she got this, but she would always say, well, I never got anything else from him. But, but he's the guy that actually did it. And um, uh, another time, he was very close to Bill and Lois and, and, uh, because one time uh, Bill was walking through the streets in New York and he had this uh, download that he was supposed to, to go find Arthur. And so he goes to Arthur's uh, apartment and he's got an esophageal hemorrhage and he's, he's dying. And they were able to get him to the hospital. And after that, he was always really, really close and loving to Bill and Lois. Um, he gave a download to Bill that he got from the Reverend Walter Tonks, and Bill goes, you can't get anything from Tonks. I was just with him as Founder's Day a few weeks ago, and he's alive. Arthur says, no. And so Bill makes the call, and he finds out that, indeed, uh, Tonks had passed, and the information that he got was exactly right. If you want to read a really fun book, this book, Nothing So Strange, is... Uh, uh, a story of Arthur Ford's uh, life, and um, uh, and in it, it talks about him getting sober in Alcoholics Anonymous in the 40s, and it's really, really fun. So if you want to know what old school AA was like, it's a great source. This is Eileen Garrett. Uh, Eileen Garrett was uh, the greatest medium, uh, she and Arthur Ford, of her generation. She was the founder of the Society of uh, Parapsychology. And uh, uh, she was, um, so i give you just a little taste here, I thought. Dear Mr. Wilson, I take great pleasure in suggesting that you may wish to participate in a conference dealing with the relationship between parapsychology and psychedelics, with particular emphasis on medium and mystic phenomenon scheduled to take place here in New York, November 15th and 16th. The meeting will bring together some 15 people who share an interest in the useful of recent findings regarding LSD-25 mescaline and related re research tools. Related research tools. When I say LSD, I am talking about medicine. I am talking about a breakthrough in consciousness that happened in the mid-50s. This is pre-Timothy Leary. I am not talking about in a dark closet is a place to trip. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I am talking about research tools. Um, and uh, for similar purposes, we'd appreciate it if you'd have a brief biographical note showing your recent afflictions and past or present activities with special emphasis on psychedelic studies. I look forward to seeing you again, Eileen Garrett. Um, this is Bill's reply. Eileen, you can have no idea how much I think about and treasure the meeting we had concerning the general outlook for psychic research. What Bill wanted to do when he resigned from Alcoholics Anonymous in 1960, because that was his goal, was he was going to pour all of his energies into proving survival of the soul after the undertaker, as he liked to call it. And he was with some of the greatest scientists, uh, like Dr. Menninger uh, and uh, Oppenheimer, Dr. Oppen Robert Oppenheimer. Um, 
one of the uh, people that's credited with the creation of uh, the hydrogen bomb. Um, people, he had uh, good friends at Kodak. They were doing all kinds of research testing with all kinds of infrared stuff. I mean, they were going to, and he believed that that was a more important contribution that he could make to the world than the creation of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, though none of uh, us AAs can cooperate with you in a sense of being in the public eye, I'm sure you're going to find a very high degree of devotion and interest respecting precognition or any other project you may think holds pro uh, promise. And with pleasure, I send you my acceptance for the Barbizon Plaza uh, meeting November 15th. I'm sure that from our AA experience, bits and pieces of helpful information can be drawn. Um, regrettably, I can't be with you for the full seminar all day Sunday. We hold meetings for incoming AAs who attend our annual dinner the next day. So, anyway, kind of fun. This is uh, Lucille Kahn. Lucille Kahn was, uh, she and David were um, Aldous Huxley's, uh, or excuse me, not Aldous Huxley, uh, Edgar Cayce's uh, great financial supporters. Um, she, uh, she wrote to Bill asking him to speak at another uh, event saying um, that I, I read Aldous Huxley's latest essay, uh, Heaven and Hell, and uh, on the use of mescaline. People are beginning to believe that an illuminated experience uh, is, uh, is available to everyone without leading a monastic life. And these are two of the great friends of Alcoholics Anonymous, Abram Hoffer and uh, Humphrey Osmond. Does anybody here know Mildred F., the flying nun from Toronto? Yeah. Hoffer is the guy who walked in when she was in the nut ward forever and said, this woman is not crazy. She's alcoholic. Treat her as such. So I love this guy. But not only that, because he's also a good friend of Bill's. Uh, this is uh, uh, Hoffer talking about meeting Bill Wilson. Uh, Humphrey Osmond and I were close colleagues and friends. We met Bill... Uh, at, uh, in 1958 because he was friendly with Eileen Garrett, who was president of the American Parapsychology Foundation. And at that time, uh, we also got in contact with Aldous Huxley. So we went to the meeting in New York, and I'm sitting with Humphrey, and Bill was sitting in between us. The first time I met him, he was a tall, lanky, pleasant-looking gentleman, very charismatic. And he was very restless and tense, and you could tell. Like if I were to become tense here, you'd notice it. And we noticed that he wasn't very happy and we weren't sure why. So then he told her, uh, Osmond that he was really feeling a bit tense. And uh, Humphrey had a little bottle of tablets containing leucoandrinochrome. Says, Bill, try one of these. Now, by that time, we'd given it to enough normal people and we knew that it was safe. We never would have given it to anyone if we thought it was dangerous. We'd taken it ourselves, and we were positive it couldn't hurt anyone. So Bill trusted us. It took a few minutes, I think it was 10 or 20, and he turned to us and said, I know now, I now know what you mean when you talk about being relaxed. I've never had 
that feeling before. I think before that he, uh, I think before he got that feeling, the only place he had it was from alcohol. And Bill was so taken with this that he tests it out on his friends that are working at the office. And then he goes to work on Pfizer Pharmaceuticals and they end up taking the product to market. And the thing was, it was a natural substance and it wasn't shelf-stable. So, And um, so what I'd like to do is just to wrap this up, I've got a, a zillion more things that I'd love to share with you, but is, is, to, is to let you know that these people were always searching. Uh, and just to, to wrap it up, um, in 1969, one of Helen W.'s sponsees, uh, and I'll... Uh, yeah, we'll just skip the LSD stuff, unfortunately. <laughs> um, had just come back from India being with the Maharishi. And he, uh, I, I should say two things about the LSD stuff. Number one, the only reason that Bill went to Santa Monica for the experience was that it had been shown that psycho- the psychedelic experience was happening helping alcoholics that could not be reached in any other thing. Every time that he was involved with the substance, uh, almost there was always a doctor involved. Um, in the group that Bill put together in New York that had people like uh, Henry Luce of uh, Time Magazine and his, his wife, uh, Claire Booth Luce, all these, uh, a lot of intellectuals and artists from... Uh, 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 New York were all part of this, and Bill was, um, but it was always under medical supervision uh, by Dr. Robert Laylaw, who was the head of psychiatry at the Rockefeller Hospital. I mean, this is this is not, you know, copping something on the, the corner and then going down with your friends to do something. This is a research tool that, that was there. Last thing I want to mention is um, the Akron pamphlets. The big book comes out. And like minutes later, the people in Akron go, this thing is really lame. It is not useful at all. We've got to do something. We've got to get something for the common man. And so uh, Bob asked his buddy uh, Evan W. to uh, put together a sense of pamphlets. And uh, this, is, this stuff is available from the Akron uh, intergroup. It costs you four bucks for five pamphlets. Get it. It's really fun reading. Uh, but anyway, there's a, there's a pamphlet called Spiritual Milestones. And you read through it, and it's got all this great uh, uh, moral stuff to it, very good Christian information. And then at the end, um, it says, and this is straight from Dr. Bob, straight from Akron, consider the eight point... Uh, program of Buddhism. The Buddhist philosophy, as exemplified by these eight points, could be literally adopted by AA as a substitute for or an addition to the 12 steps. 
Now, if I said that at my group, <laughs> but that's straight out of Akron, baby. Um, little thing about why the 12 and 12. Bill said, "I wrote the second. I wrote the second book because the first were, the first book was being treated by holy like it was holy writ." He said, now they're doing it with this one. How can I stop them? As far as Bill's mystical search goes, he had, when he had friends that were in trouble, he recommended this book, The Imprisoned Splendor by Raynor Johnson. And uh, when he was uh, sending it to a man, he said, I only wish that I had an opportunity of sharing this vast and tremendous experiences which I have had and have witnessed uh, with you. But the next thing, best thing that I can do is send you this book. So I'd, you can download this. It's, it, 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 you couldn't find it three years ago. All the copies have been taken away. It's on iTunes now, so you can, uh, or iBooks now, so you can get it. So anyway, I, uh, I talked way through the Q&A. Um, I uh, thank you so very much for inviting me here. I, uh, you know, my uh, my... My hope is, is that like our, our uh, founder, Bill W., that uh, you will continue to uh, seek. And just like Bill in 1969, he's got bad emphysema, and one of Helen's people comes back from being with the Maharishi in India and says, can we teach you TM? And so Helen... And her son, Shep, and Lois and Bill got together and he learned the method. And Bill said afterwards, he said, now I really understand the 11th step. So thank you.